Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's podcast. It's Incarceration Classroom. I'm Tracy. I'm Kelly. I'm Yazira. And I'm Katrina. If you haven't listened to us before, we are a small group of college students learning and sharing our research studies with our community on the topic of what factors contribute to Washington State being one of the highest incarceration states in the country, and how can we change this? Importance of this research more state, and what efficacious tactics can we as a community contribute to help ensure that we can resolve these issues? On this week's podcast, we will continue to be discussing a variety of factors that concern our issue. Subjects such as the changes already happening with Washington State's incarceration issue, the controversy of COVID-19 affecting inmates, the updated mandates regarding the three-strike law, getting insight from Washington State's prisons directly about the policies, as well as opposing views on this topic, is just a brief overview of this discourse. Our first topic is from last week's podcast. It was published by the Seattle Times on September 17, 2020, and it was written by Nina Shapiro. It covered the changes made and also future possibilities due to COVID-19, and included the feelings of different people on the matter. Within the article, a few people who opposed the changes, namely this three, the three strikes reform and the early release of 1,016 people are mentioned. A talk show host and sponsor for the three strikes initiative, John Carlson, disagrees heavily with the changes and sees adding more crimes that count as strikes as a reasonable response. This is partially due to an increased homicide rate in Seattle. And while the increased homicide rate is a cause for concern, there's no evidence that shortened sentences for people in jail for second-degree robbery would make the public significantly more dangerous. We, ha- we do have some reference for what happens when you release people early in the following, actually. The other concern brought up was from Senator Mike Patton, who suggested that releasing people early could be dangerous to the point of inciting vigilantism. The fact that 288 of those released were, re- were arrested again appears to be part of his skepticism about the changes, which is a stat from September of 2020. However, a majority of those who were incar- reincarcerated were not incarcerated for any new violent crime. Instead, they had committed violations, drug use, failure to contact community correction Uh, corrections officers properly, GPS violations, things like this is what make up most of what's bringing people back in. Even then, according to the spatial distribution of COVID-19 population reduction, uh, the document that is, provided by the Department of Corrections in Washington State, most of these people go right back to the communities they were brought into after their hearings. That's not to say there aren't people coming in with new felonies but their numbers are very small compared to everything else. As of March 2nd, 2021, only eight were jailed with a new felony charge. Overall, it's clear that these people are not posing a huge threat to the public. 
For all the issues that might come with this situation, significant harm is not one of them here. Getting in a little more into the after effects of the three strikes rule reform, we have another article from the Seattle Times. The er, the second article being talked about in this podcast is an article written by Tom James in the Seattle Times. And it's speaking about lifers or people who have been sentenced to life in prison and how they're excluded from the three strikes law change that happened in Washington Washington State. Um, It was published on May 20th, 2019, but this issue is still relevant to this day. And so the three strikes inmates that are have been sentenced to life in prison that have um that their third strike was a second degree robbery have been excluded from being let out of prison early even though the second degree robbery has um been taken off the strike list and it speaks on how unfair the three strikes law is for many of the people who will have to serve life in prison even though in the present, people who have the third strike as a second-degree robbery don't have to serve life in prison. And um, the article speaks on how how two prisoners with identical records could end up with vastly different sentences. So even though they both have committed three crimes and maybe both have um, second degree robbery on their um, crime list, they could serve different sentencing amounts because of this new law passed that took off um, the second degree robbery from the strikes and a defense mentioned in the article is that um, despite second degree robberies being less serious they're still emotionally scarring so that being said life in prison without parole is not necessarily the most effective way to deal with any damage done by the second degree robberies and we don't have um, a lot of clear statistics for how much imprisoning people for nonviolent offenses like these help the victims or the perpetrators either, but there is potential in giving these people a chance to better themselves as the bill suggests. And so it's just speaking on how this new change to the three strikes rule um is helpful in some ways, but then in some ways um, it harms people more. So um, the next article talk being talked about is a source from Crosscut speaking about Washington prisoners that are incarcerated. All right, so I want to dive a little bit into this Crosscut article that basically discusses um, how 
um, the prisons in Washington are telling us directly about the issue of mass incarceration. Um, so I did find this article from crosscut.com. It was published by Mason Byron um, in 2019, but this issue is still relevant and current today in 2021. Um, so it's basically the reason for mass incarceration, um, one of them is that prison policies continue to get tougher and tougher as the years pass. And the tougher the policies become, the more people get arrested and then the policies get tougher and then more people get arrested. And it's kind of just an endless cycle of mistreatment. Um, so this article from Crosscus has a lot of interesting points. Um, the article covers the journey of Dan Berger who contributed to the republication of the book, Concrete Mama. Um, this book told stories of prisons in Washington state and their specific conditions um, to the inmates that were being incarcerated in them. Um, Dan interviews a couple individuals that have been incarcerated at the Walla Walla State Penitentiary and they discuss what their experience was like while they were there. Um, there was two people he talked, he interviewed, he interviewed Art Longworth who was incarcerated at Walla Walla and is now incarcerated elsewhere. And then he talked to um, Daryl Cook and Daryl Cook is still incarcerated at Walla Walla. And so toward the end of this article, it digs deeper into the topic of mass incarceration and how it affects individuals and even what needs to happen in order to transform and mend our system. Um, so the author of this article, Mason Byron, stated, quote, I got the impression that when you lock people in a cage, tell them that they are a terrible person, deny them meaningful experiences for being a human, then there is no good that can come from that, end quote. So although this quote states that mass incarceration is bad, the article talks about how Washington does not put this issue at the top of its priority list. There is a portion of the article that discusses how Washington got to this place. Quote, the Sentencing Reform Act, as it was initially implemented, was designed to focus on people convicted of violent offenses. So Washington's prison population in the mid-80s actually dropped slightly when around the country it's rising. But then Washington did what states do when prison population drops. They contract out its empty beds to the federal government. Meanwhile, this tough-on-crime ethos had infected the body politic and politicians here, as everywhere, were trying to outdo themselves by getting tougher and tougher on crime. The Sentencing Reform Act gets amended each year, becoming tougher and tougher, end quote. So knowing this information, we can see that Washington um, literally watched its incarceration rate rise into uncontrollable amounts, yet it the state did nothing and they continue to um, put it on the back burner and just not really pay attention to it. And I think mass incarceration is one of those topics that your view on it, it really depends on who you are. Obviously, if you're a prisoner, you're going to think that, you know, being incarcerated is bad and you just want to go home. If you're a victim of a crime, um, you're going to want 
whatever, you know, offender made you a victim, you're going to want them locked up in prison. And if, you know, if you're like me, I personally don't know anyone that has been a victim of, you know, a horrible crime. And I have not been a victim of a horrible crime. And my views on mass incarceration are going to be different from, you know, a victim's or even a prisoner's view. So I think mass incarceration really changes depending on who you are, your views on it are going to alter. However, I think our state as a whole really needs to take action on this issue and figure out what they can do to mend this system. After further discussion and exchange of views, the demand for change on Washington State's issue on incarceration is prevalent. As the numbers of people educating themselves on this topic are growing, the discussion is being brought to those of high authority. However, the importance of the persistence and more research is paramount to resolving this issue. We as a community can stay informed and continue to press the issue of reforming our state's prison policies. This discussion conclusively shows that there is always room for improvement, but it begins with us, the community. Next time on Incarceration Classroom, we will be presenting our views in order to find the answer to our essential question. What factors contribute to Washington State being one of the highest incarceration states in the country and how can this change? Thank you for tuning in to Incarceration Classroom. This is Tracy. Nizaira. Kelly. Katrina. Signing off.